What's going on, collective listeners? Welcome back for another episode. Today, we've got Justin Kuhn. He's a tactical strength and conditioning coach at JBLM. That's a joint base, Lewis McCord. Uh, he's got a, a great story, uh, and it's one that I know that everybody listening can probably relate to, especially if you're trying to um, find some ways and, and just kind of like make sense of the journey that you're on currently and where you're at in that journey, and maybe potentially even considering moving into the tactical realm. This podcast is exactly what you need to be listening to. Not only is he a wealth of information and insight, but he also really rounds out some of the philosophical uh, ways that you need to view jumping into a job in the tactical sector, uh, how he's made changes, the progress that he's made, um, and some of the challenges and obstacles that he's come across. He, he pulls no punches. He's an honest, transparent dude. And honestly, this podcast was phenomenal. So enjoy it uh, and, and, you know, take some notes because this, this is an awesome one. All right. We'll talk to you guys. We'll see you. What's going on, collective listeners? Welcome back to another episode, uh, this week's episode of the Samson Strength Coach Collective. I am your host, Anthony Grasso. Today, we are joined by Justin Kuhn. He is the tactical strength and conditioning coach at JBLM, which is Joint Base Lewis McCord. Uh, Super excited to have him on. Obviously, Justin, thank you for making this happen. Thank you for being flexible um, and and making this happen pretty quickly, obviously, too. So that's that's awesome. But um, yeah, and as I was telling Justin for all the listeners before, you know, I'm just excited to have him on and just talk more about tactical strength and conditioning. We don't have to have the whole podcast be about that, but um, I just think it's interesting. And we kind of discussed how new it is and how there's a lot that can be discussed. And regardless of, you know, who's right and who's wrong and their thoughts and philosophies on it, it's good to just have more dialogue around it. So uh, without further ado, Justin, thanks again for hopping on. Appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, why don't we uh, introduce yourself and let the people know a little bit about who you are and where you come from and how this whole thing got rolling. Absolutely. Um, first things first, you know, thank you for having me on and also happy birthday. Shout out to you. Uh, <laughs> oh, dang. you uh, dang, he's blowing up my spot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. You got yep. me on. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, today, today is my birthday, October 5th. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Absolutely, man. Um, but yeah, so name's Justin and kind of growing up back on me, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I uh, have an older brother and an older sister, older brother who, like you said, you've had on before. Um, he's now data scientist down at LSU, getting to work with their football team, which is certainly cool to see him go through his progression. But uh, ironically, kind of went through some similar steps. We both trained at the same private sector place growing up, uh, acceleration sports performance. That was kind of my first exposure into this realm. But at that point, I had zero interest. I was kind of a huge basketball guy and was like fully convinced I'm going to be a basketball coach. Like It's what I want to do was not a weight room kid by any means necessary. It's like, you ask anyone who knew me before the age of 18, they'd probably laugh if they found out I worked as a strength coach because I looked like a kid that was allergic to iron for like the first 18 years of my life. Um, <laughs> dude, and- same, same for me too. Like I, I, I feel that way. I'm like, dude, I, I don't, uh, it's like, I'll talk to people like back from like college or whatever. And like, dude, you, you got into what? And like, you look like what now? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you like this? It's, it's kind of like embarrassing to be honest with you, because they're just like that much of a difference. You know what I mean? They're just like, dude, like, who are you? And it's just like, yeah, I know. I was really, really small and really weak and flimsy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. And then people knew my brother too. And he was like, he was, had a hell of a high school football career. Um, I was a basketball guy, which I looked the part. It kind of made sense, but like yeah. he was that he grew earlier and a lot stockier, more filled out. I was the guy that, you know, I went into high school, I was five feet tall, 95 pounds. Yeah. So yeah. Like, you know, I, <laughs> we went on very two, you know, dissimilar paths there. Um, mm. But then ended up going to the same undergrad as him at Illinois state. And nice. he was one that convinced me to do my uh, bachelor's degree in exercise science. Cause he went out from the vantage point of him knowing he wanted to be a strength coach. He's like, well, if you're going to be a sport coach, it goes a long way for you to understand these things and understand how it works. And so 
had I continued to go on that route, I think he still would have set me up for a lot of success because I think, as you and I probably both know, the competency of certain sport coaches in terms of actually being able to quantify the demands of their sport is an area where there needs, you know, a huge room for improvement and just, you know, yeah. being scientific and having a research-based approach versus I feel, or this is the drill I did when I was a player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was going through my entire undergrad and I, I love the program. I, you know, it was very interesting. I love learning more about the science of training, but even all the way up going to my, uh, my internships at University of Iowa with their Olympic staff, probably the first halfway through that, I was still convinced that I was going to be a basketball coach. Like that was just what I wanted to do. Mm. I didn't really, you know, I still enjoyed my time. And I loved it, but I just wasn't convinced. But then going through that full internship and seeing how much time you get with the kids, like throughout the year and the access you get to them. And, you know, there's no dead periods. There's nothing like that. Like you get to see them year round, depending on the sport. Um, and just the influence the weight room had on me in terms of my own athletic abilities, my own confidence, and just the development transformation I saw. And then getting to see on a bigger picture, you know, what's happening at these kids at the University of Iowa, obviously, you know, power five program, very accomplished in a lot of the sports I worked with. And so it was cool to see that process and how much goes into it versus it just being the old school squat bench dead, like just get stronger. Like there was such a scientific approach to it and all the coaches there just do such, do their jobs at such a high level that it made me want to pursue it more. And it's kind of after that point that I was like, all right, let me at least, you know, pursue a GA position, see where this can lead me. Like, I feel like I actually see a career in this, um, in the collegiate realm. And from there, I had a little bit of a gap just because I got a very late start. You know, like I said, my brother knew he wanted this since he was in eighth grade. I just found out about it two months ago. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, so for me, it was kind of that learning curve. And I knew I wasn't ready to quite step into a GA position yet. I just knew I didn't have the experience programming all that. And I wanted to get, develop myself more as a coach. So when I stepped into something, I at least felt like, I knew I still would feel unprepared, but I at least felt I like belonged. Um, mm -hmm. And so I ended up going back home and was fortunate enough that one of my mentors and trainers growing up at that uh, facility acceleration uh, sports performance, Mike Nicholas, he offered me a um, spot to help him out with his summer college group and then also training their gen pop. Mm -hmm. And so I spent about three, four months working with him and one of the brightest guys in the industry. Um, yeah. I continually learn from him every single day. And so oh, what's his name? Mike Nicholas. Like Nicholas, uh, okay. Yeah. I was just saying, I was just say, I if you need a guest, I cannot recommend him enough. He he's always ironic because he doesn't have any of the certifications or letters behind his name, but one those of those guys. The best. That, those are the guys. Yeah, he just, he's the <laughs> smartest dude ever. Um, yeah. and uh yes, yeah, so I spent three or four months with him. And I think especially working with a guy like him and being so hands-on and involved, like that's what really generated my passion because especially as like a mentor, he's very good about involving me in the process, even though you know I'm this 22 23 year old kid just did one internship haven't read much compared to him uh but he would still involve me in that process ask me questions get me thinking and starting to look beyond what a textbook says or what the nsca says like learning to think for myself and mm. from there then was applying around looking for a paid internship kind of that intermediary step before i felt like a ga spot was right for me and had shot some applications around was in the interview process with one or two schools and then an opening popped up at north dakota state and a buddy of mine had sent it my way. He's like, hey, they're hiring paid intern. And I was like, perfect. All right. And sent my, and this is one of my like favorite stories about the whole thing is I think historically, if you send an email for an internship as a college strength coach, you hear back in like a week or two weeks, maybe. Yeah. And so I sent all my application materials to Jason Miller, director there. And immediately after that, I shoot out a message to all my references. Like, hey, just so you guys know, just sent out this application on the issue. Here's what I'm looking for this, you know, just giving the heads up. And that was about a 10 minute time span. 
15, 20 minutes later, I get a call from one of my mentors and one of my references from University of Iowa. And she's like, on the, I was like, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like, she's like, did you not want to give me a heads up that you're sending out applications? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I thought that was where this is going. Yeah. I'm like, I just sent this resume out 25 minutes ago. I'm like, if you look in your email right now, I'm like, there's an email there. And then so she's like, all right, well, he's probably going to call you pretty soon. And so then um, Jason Miller ends up calling wild. me. We, we talked for a little bit. He, you know, of course, asked the whole, you know, what do you know about our program? And I'm like, well, in the past 30 <laughs> minutes, um, not much. I was planning on doing the research. I was like, I just want yeah. to get my, my you know, name and hat. Yeah. And I know you guys like, move pretty quickly. I know that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> say, you, guys are, you guys are very efficient. And uh, <laughs> so it was like, all right, well, do your research. You know, my GA, my assistants are calling you, check with you. Had conversations with them individually. And then basically spent the next, like, 48 hours glued to the computer because they have a very extensive online presence, um, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And so gave me a lot to go through, but also was a good experience for me because I felt like having gone through all that, I had a very good idea of what their program was about. Yeah. Um, and then had a follow-up call with him on Wednesday and then a final call, final interview Thursday, basically with all three of them in their full-on interview. Wow. And then went through that and then I felt like it went pretty well, but of course the chaos of, you know, cause nothing can go right as a uh, building intern is I was supposed to do it at my house. I was at my parents' house in the time of the summer and we were getting windows replaced and they were supposed to come in <laughs> early in the morning. They came in late, all of our windows were getting replaced. So there's like all this screaming noise. And I'm like, so I had to go park my car up the street, middle of summer in Illinois. I'm sitting in a hot car with khakis on and a polo because I still oh. want to, even though it wasn't a Zoom call, but I'm like, I'm one of those guys, you know, like my internship supervisor taught me, like, you always feel more professional if you're at least dressed apart, but I'm not going to rock a full suit in the back of my Honda Civic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so you were, it was a phone call, but you just wanted to like be in the attire because you feel like being in the attire will allow you to act it, act the part and feel like you're more yeah. professional. Yeah. And it's just, you know, again, I get, you know, we're an industry that we get to wear sweatpants to work every day, but yeah, yeah it's still, I think that's such an important piece to getting yourself in the right mindset. For um, sure. I so agree. I was, I, I was in the back of my car and yeah. I'm like, people are walking by me and I'm sitting there. I've got like 30 sheets of paper. My chairs are folded up, got the phone there. And I'm like, I probably look like I lost my mind, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're probably like, Oh, this is one of those like door to door salesmen going over a sales pitch yeah. or something like that. He's in the, he's in the khakis and we're just, he's going to be making his way through our neighborhood. So we'll be sure not to answer the door when he comes by. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, uh, I went through that phone call and then he's like, all right, we'll talk to the staff and we'll get back to you soon. And that was the most literal interpretation soon because I walked back inside, talked to my mom real quick, about to head out to go train. And then I get a call from him and he's like, hey, we'd like to offer you the spot. Um, can you get out here by Monday? And coincidentally, at that time, my brother had just accepted his spot at his old school at William & Mary. So my yeah. parents had already committed to moving him out there. So he gets the moving truck, a parent to go with him, all that. <laughs> I got a, I got an air mattress, a week's worth of clothes, and they will see you in two weeks with the rest of your stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, that's uh, how that works. Huh? Yeah. So I ended up there and um, was only supposed to be up there for 10 months for the paid internship and was fortunate enough that halfway through the year, um, the one of the football assistants had taken a job elsewhere. And our director used that as an opportunity to get a second GA position because that oldest football assistant was covering wrestling nice. and throwers as well. Yeah. And so it's kind of a way for us to bring that over and just have it be solely Olympic. Obviously football in and of itself is always a huge responsibility. And then through that was, um, able, was nice enough to extend that second GA position to me. And it was nice for me because you get the continuity with athletes, obviously that early stage of your strength coach career, it's one program to the next. And I was in that stage of 
looking for grad assistant positions. And he was awesome as a leader and telling me like, he's like, I'm pretty sure we have this spot, but please keep applying. Make sure you have a, a B and C option just in case this falls through. Um, so his transparency there was greatly appreciated. And then, yeah. yeah, that sequence into the GA and working with wrestling and throwers is my two primary sports, which for me was, I'll talk about it's like the weirdest thing ever because those are probably the only two sports that I could not even have a semi-fluent conversation in. Yeah. Uh, and like, I had the conversation with the wrestling guys on my first day. I'm like, look, I have never accidentally watched a wrestling match in my life. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is you guys do. You guys were always the weird kids in high school that just were sweating all the time, but uh, I'm yeah. going to learn. And, <laughs> but it, it was an awesome experience. I think, especially as a young strength coach, like it's easy to go into sports that you're familiar with and you're comfortable with, and you can speak the language and you can relate. But mm. to have to step into this world of, you know, wrestling and throwing, is, they're so unique. They're, they're individual sports, obviously, in a team sense, but individual sports and just in terms of the physical qualities, like you have your throwers that are just animals in the weight room. Um, mm. You know, your shot putters, hammer throwers, weight throwers, like just live for that. And then wrestlers who chaotic, you know, historically just a chaotic training environment, high volumes of training, you know, grinding, sure. you know, just breaking it down. And so getting familiar with kind of, the context they operate within and then how do I bring what I believe is my expertise into what they're doing and into sports yeah. where, you know, especially with wrestling, they were just kind of used to the conventional training of, you know, a lot of circuit work, high volume work, just go, go, go. Yeah. Whereas I was coming from the more of like, you're already doing enough of that in practice, like let's step away. And so I got yeah. a really cool experience working for two to three years with them yeah. of growing into that role and developing our own culture and, becoming a lifelong fan of the sport you know it's weird i look back now and if you had told me you know four years ago that i would be obsessed with wrestling watching the freestyle national stuff like that i'd be like yeah not like you couldn't pay me to do it and yeah. now now i'm glued to the tv every time you know ncaa nationals are on and I'm, i've got my espn app up watching all the maths go and, <laughs> yeah. and it, yeah. it was it was an awesome experience um yeah and then that's what ultimately brought me to uh, JBLM and tactical, I think, and kind of the, the transition there that I know you and I talked about, like how that happened. Um, yeah. And really for me, it was, you know, I, I was always skeptical, you know, skeptical of like the work-life balance of collision strength conditioning. Um, having seen my brother go down the path and, you know, talking to him a lot about what he's been through, it was good to get an idea of what it is, but also he was on the football side a lot. And so football and Olympic have some parallels, some differences, obviously, but I was always skeptical of it, but was still wanting to see it out and see the commitment through and, you know, see if I could find that opportunity. <clears throat> and really for me, it came down to a couple big events. Um, really two was one was missing my, I missed my sister's uh, first successful Ironman. I had, mm. my mom had done two at the time and then sister trained for one, ended up fracturing her femur on the run, um, you know, about 15, 20 miles from the finish line. And Jeez. I was there for that one and seeing her not finish, you know, just obviously very tough, you know, we're a very close family and she worked really hard to train back and do another one two years later. And just cause the timing of it all and, you know, where everything was at, like couldn't afford to make it out there. And so just seeing that was kind of one of those things where like life kind of gut checked me and yeah. I had to ask, sit down and ask myself, you know, you know, most important thing for me growing up as a kid is I had two parents who were at 95% of our breakfast and dinner every single day. And between mm. me and my brother and sister, like almost all of our sporting events and yeah. their ability to commit to that. And I'm like, that's what my life needs to be about. Like, that's to me, like, you know, professionally, I want to have an impact. I want to have value, but it can never be at the expense of me providing a better opportunity than they did for me because they took, you know, their experience with their parents. They made it better for us. Like, I can't, I can't work backwards now. Like, it's got to be continued to progress and give my kids even more. Yeah. And I didn't feel like 
at least with where I was at and where I was seeing the industry was at, that that was going to be something that could meet my needs and my desires in terms of that realm. Um, and so once COVID hit, and I'd already been exploring that, but then once COVID hit and mass quarantines happened, had a ton of time to obviously think and self-reflect like all of us. I mean, you spend enough time in a house and yeah. you're in solitary <laughs> confinement, you start to uh, reevaluate. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of, it came down to those things for me. And I just decided, you know, I'm in my mid twenties. Like if there's a time to change course and redirect, I'm like, I'm young enough where if it doesn't work out, I can find something else. Like I'll figure it out, but this is probably the time I like to do it. And so went back, had the conversation uh, with, with my director, Jason Miller, and just let him know where I was at, what I was pursuing him being the awesome guy. He is like, put me in contact with um, one guy uh, named Eddie Yoon, who was working at South Metro fire PD. Cause I told him like tactical is kind of the area. And so he just put me in contact with guys, got to talk with him about his experiences working with fire rescue um, as a strength coach. And then the second one being a guy named Mitchell Deppner, who's up here at JBLM is one of the program directors. He's the one that put me into contact with the installation lead here at the time. And mm. he gave me the lay of the land. We talked a lot and they said they might have some openings coming up. Would I be interested? And it was kind of like that moment of move across, move to the opposite corner of the country. I have no family, no friends out there, like yeah. in, a, in a military world where like, you know, you have all your preconceived notions from movies and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Like it's a strict 40 hour work week. The, the compensation's better. And I know at least for where I was at that point in terms of just being, you know, personally and socially in a not a good spot, um, just from the hours working all that, like I knew if nothing else as a you know two to three year thing two to three year stint like this is what's best for me right now and i can figure out my life then but mm. i can't keep going on autopilot and you know never having that chance i'm you know i'm gonna blink wake up and i'm 40 yeah. and i'm gonna look back like that whole time flew by and so made that jump got out here in june of last year and so i'm at about 14 15 months in the job and nice. can definitively say like no regrets of the decision. It was weird thinking, you know, as far as I was moving away from family and friends and like this whole new environment, never had really the anxiety of that big move, which is also right. for me reassuring of like, maybe you're like, you're in the direction you need to be in. And like knowing that this is going to give me the ability to do those things I couldn't do. And I was able to go to weddings, go to my mom and sister's next Ironman, like go down to see my brother for his birthday and just mm -hmm. get to do all those things like kind of reinvigorated me and gave me a lot more just purpose day to day and finally feeling like I was in a good spot and so been uh been enjoying these Washington winners so they're not as bad as Fargo winners I'll say um when, when you don't see negative 30 on a radar it's a good day um, yeah up, up here it just rains quite a bit as you can imagine but mm. I mean yeah it's a, it's an awesome population to work within and it's, it's such a young industry you know H2F as a project but then just tactical strength conditioning within the army as a whole and the military is so new and there's so much potential in it which I love being a younger strength coach of like it's kind of where collegiate strength conditioning was at back in the 60s and 70s of like just starting out they're trying to figure out what is this thing how do we do it how do we make it scalable um and it's fun to be on the ground floor for that yeah no that's awesome that's an incredible story and I'm glad you went through it you know in detail like that because obviously it shows that transition you know mentally not just physically but the transition mentally from like space to space and obviously you had kind of some um you know, some headway with your brother there, obviously kind of telling you like, Hey, here's kind of what to expect. And here's some of my, his experiences. And obviously, um, you know, you built off that, which is, which is awesome. And I'm really glad that you're in a place like that now, you know what I mean? I think all too often, I feel like I hear from people who are like, yeah, man, I'm in a tough spot. Like I don't really enjoy the guy that I'm working for or whatever. And I don't, 
don't really enjoy the, you know, the, 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 the program in itself. Right. It's like, I, I, I passionate about what I'm doing, but at the same time, I'm almost like rooting against these people because they're just not treating me well. Right. And that's such a dangerous place to be. Um, but kind of like going back to, you know, what you said before about like coaches not really knowing the sport right now, you're like in a different situation where, you know, the, the actual like engine that you're preparing for is so much different than like the engine that you were studying, obviously, when you're studying sport and working backwards from those demands. Um, but before we get into to some of that, you know, and I don't, I don't know if this is like the best time to talk about this, but I've been I've been on this topic for quite some time. I still think, you know, and I've left I've left college, been out of college football for it'll be a year in December. And, you know, I, I still maintain that, like, there, there isn't a part of me that like misses it a whole lot. Like, I thought I would miss it more and I almost like haven't missed it at all. And I'm and it kind of bothers me that I haven't. You know what I mean? Because in my mind, I'm like, you should you should miss it more. Like, that's because it'll show you that, like, it truly meant something major in your life. And as always like anything else it's the people and it was the kids right like that stuff was always Absolutely. super fun but you know I still talk to a lot of people that I used to work with and whether it's at the same spot that I used to be or whether it be at other places and they they tell me these stories and I'm like man like it, it's not even and like we can talk about like you know the technical tactical aspects of sport but then we could just talk about like the concept of leadership and to be honest with you I was telling this to my friend the other day I was like dude I feel like we are like information overload now when it comes to and, and it could be like good stuff too there's a lot of good information out there on leadership but i feel like everything is like on leadership now like all the books mm -hmm. come out like all these quick clips you see on instagram like podcasts whatever there's so much like leadership information around us right like everyone's heard of jocko willink now and jocko's got great leadership stuff i read all this stuff and i'm like this is great like i love it right um so with that with that being said i'm thinking to myself i'm like man, like some of these stories I'm hearing for some of these people who work in the college football sector and some of the, you know, even the Olympic sector, right? I'm like, some of these stories of like communication or lack thereof, the way they treat some of their employees, some of their subordinates, right? Like the way that they try to suppress information, maybe you're like, hey, like, don't, I don't want to see that information. I don't want to, you know, don't talk to me about mm -hmm. like data and sports science. And I'm not even just talking specifically about that. Like that, that in, is symbolic in the sense of like suppressing, like, anyone's desires to explore things that they think would make the program better. It doesn't have to be sports science. It could be something like, Hey, I was recently going down this rabbit hole and I feel like this might help our players a little bit better. Right. Like whatever that is, whether like, it doesn't matter what it involves. There's definitely this, like, you know, so like, 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 like a leader being like, Hey, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to see any of that. Like, you know, that's to get that out of here. Obviously that deters this, you know, the employee, right. It makes them not feel like they're bought in the program. They're actually, and part of them is like, yeah, I want to see this program win because it helps me. But then everything kind of becomes a little self-serving. Right. Um, and then along with that would be some other things too. Like, you know, I've heard some stories about just like, who's communicating with who, like, what's the, what's the hierarchy look like in terms of who knows what, um, how we trickle information down the line, decentralized command, lack thereof, all that stuff. Right. So like, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, I guess, and I know that's kind of like a long winded like statement that's going to lead into a question, but it's like, I guess my question is like, how are these guys like still fucking it up that badly? Right. Like with like all of the, you, you think with like all the information, like I said, there is no scarcity of information on just like basic leadership. And all of it really revolves around like, Hey, communication, treat your people with respect, know the, know the names of the people who are like, you know, changing out your trash cans and cleaning out the bathrooms in your, in your, you know, it's like all of these things that like any decent human being has been doing for like 25 years or so in, in the field. Right. But like, it's not, for whatever reason, it's not privy to some of these guys. So I would wonder like what your take is on that. If you've experienced that, like how 
that might be a little bit different in terms of like how you guys kind of operate now. And then you can kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, your operation there, obviously. But I, I do have to ask, like, I wasn't even going to bring it up. I'm just thinking to myself, like, I, you know, I got a call from a friend yesterday. I'm like, how is this shit still happening? Like how, like why, you know, my personal interpretation is that I think there isn't, there's still not a consensus on like what it means to be a true sport coach or what it means to be a leader. I think that there's just a lack of consensus on that in American sport. I can't speak for other, you know, other places, but you know, I don't know. That, that's kind of like my personal take. I'm just like, but I, I do wonder, I'm like, how is it still being fucked up this badly? Like, how is it still messed up? You know what I mean? To where like you have these guys at the top making millions and millions of dollars who still can't grasp the fact like, Hey, should probably be decent to my employees, you know, like, like the basics. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's cause I think at its core, like that's what it comes down to is why people are leaving. And especially within, you know, not just strength coaches, but athletic trainers, dietitians, like any yeah. athlete support staff role. Um, and to me, it, it kind of boils down to who makes the money for university and what, you know, what's the price they're willing to do it for. And when you look at strength coaches, again, you, you obviously have to pay respects to some of the forefathers in the industry and the people that really paved the way for us. For sure. But they also dug us into a corner because we're, as I'm sure you know, a very, very prideful industry. And strength coaches love to brag about their passion. And I love that. And I think it's great. But I, I think to me, one of the most concerning things is like their passion is their life. And I, you know, I, I'm myself, I'm not a very religious guy anymore. Like I kind of just believe we have this one life on the planet. And I refuse to believe I'm supposed to spend a majority of that life serving someone else or working or doing things that don't fulfill me. Like work is a means to an end. It's a means to, you know, pay the bills, put a roof over my head, food on the table, provide for my family. And that time comes. But then outside of that, it's, to maximize time with those people and doing those things that I love. And yes, I love my work. I love what I get to do. But if you tell me I could choose either for the rest of my life to spend every waking moment with my family and friends or at an office, I'm choosing my family and friends 10 times out of 10. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. But, you know, within strength conditioning, you know, what I see, and it's kind of, for me, especially being a young coach, and I think even generations behind me coming up, they get a bad rap because we're very inquisitive and we, we, we don't accept the status quo and we don't just shut up and do as we're told, which I think is a very good thing. It gets portrayed and kind of sold as being disrespectful or not, you know, have no respect for authority. But what I think it really comes down to is if you're going to tell me to do something and you're going to tell me, you know, whether it's a, a job duty or from a player and it's some type of workout, you should be able to articulate why I need to do this. And, mm. and it's not coming from a point of, I don't trust you or I'm skeptical, but if you as a leader, whether it's a strength coach, whether it's a sport coach, an AD, if you can't articulate and properly explain, here's why we're doing this. Here's why you get paid what you paid. Here's why you do what you do. Then like, we want to know, like, why should we be doing it? And there were too many coaches coming up that they just kind of accepted the fact that the job is 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. or to 8 p.m. And yeah, yeah. it's, you know, you know, three to six teams. Sometimes if you're, you know, some coaches have seven, eight, nine, 10 teams. And it's always this, oh, I can take on more responsibility. I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. If I do that, then I'll demonstrate my value and they'll pay me. And then yeah. here we are 20 years later, and we still have full-time division one job with a master's degree offering 30 to 35 K when the Bureau of Labor Statistics average for someone with a master's degree is 80 K. Yeah. And yeah. I, I get, yeah, it's an average. You have people above it, below it. But when you're fit below 50% of that average and you're in a multi-billion dollar industry where you have the person who your sport coach is likely making six, seven, eight figures. <laughs> And then you're telling me I am worth 35 grand for 80 hours a week. Right. Like, I, I think it's just, it's kind of one of those things where, and I don't know what the proper recourse is in terms of like how the ship writes itself, because 
again, it's such an oversaturated industry that if I don't want to take some job that's offered in D1, there's 25 more kids applying that'll do it for less money and more hours. Because yeah. again, it's that whole pride mentality of like, we think we're doing ourselves a favor, but it's like, no, at the end of the day, a school's job and any organization's job is to profit. Mm. And to, like, no, like, yeah, schools want to win, but win or lose, they need to profit to, you know, remain functioning. And so yeah. if they can get you to do the job of three people for the price of one, they're yeah. going to do that. And like, I see within our industry, it's like, and I, it was kind of the point I got fed up with, you know, especially even just being a GA of, you hear all these things coming up of, you know, oh, you got to educate the sport coach. You got to earn their trust. You got to do this. You got to do that. I'm like, why do I have to do that one way, but they don't do it back? I'm like, why oh, do yeah. I have to, why, you know, now they have coaches that want to reverse engineer demands of sport, which is awesome. But why is the sport coach not doing that? Why, right. why is that me as the strength coach? Not only do I have to learn the demands of this sport from a, you know, biomotor, biophysical, all that. Now I have to also learn the sport itself, break it down and explain it to the guy who's making 10 times my salary for a quarter <laughs> of the hours. And yeah. he can still look at me after I, I, you can lay out nothing but facts and he'll just go, no, nah, I don't agree. And, right. and like, that's that. And it's like, how do you, how do you expect coaches to like thrive in a system like that? And I think it's great that more and more coaches are speaking out about it because, and it was what empowered me is talking to other people who had left, who had spoken out about that stuff, because until we're willing to do that and have that dialogue, because we all talk to each other. And I think that kind of gets to your point of why hasn't it changed? It's because all we're doing is echo chambering the shit out of the conversation. And like, yeah. there's people who are very, try to be diplomatic about it and be like, you know, you need to get into, you know, associate AD roles and those supervisor roles. And it's like, it should not take that much for us yeah. to get an, an inkling of respect. Like for the same reason you're willing to pay that head coach $5 million a year. And then you see situations like Scott Frost buyout with Nebraska getting paid $15 million to not coach. Yeah. But then someone posted, they cut a bunch of athletics administration roles during COVID that were like 20, 30 K salaries. And you're like, quit telling me we're a family. Quit telling me you care about me. Like, yeah, you should, you should be able to have just one job that pays a livable wage and like right. progressively builds up year over year. But you got coaches who have worked a job for, you know, five, 10 years at the same university. They're making just a couple grand more. And it's like, yeah. that's what, that's what your time's worth. Like, right. Yeah. And, but yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's one of those things. And that's, that's what I'm curious to see. And I, I highlighted on uh, some of the blog series I did for um, strength coach network on my shift to tactical of it'll be interesting to see how H2F and military, you know, tactical strength conditioning as a whole affects the collegiate landscape. Because previously, if you were a college strength coach and you wanted to get out, you were either going private sector, you know, personal training, or you were grinding it out and there was no real alternative. Whereas now H2F is suddenly this very viable alternative and, you know, you look at the expansion rate, they're going to add 10 brigades every year till 2030, which means each brigade has 14 strength coaches. So yeah. it's 140, 140 strength coaches a year for seven years straight. Like yeah. there, there's going to be jobs. And so it's like now suddenly you have this alternative where then you have to question, you know, if, if there were a wide, you know, just wave of coaches coming over from the collegiate landscape, would that affect the compensation of those coaches? Because suddenly your supply and demand issue has started to invert. Sure. And that's why I'm skeptical just because as I'm sure you've seen and talked to people like to trust that an administrator is going to identify that and be like, Oh, that's the problem. Here's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, just in my experiences and from what I've heard, like I'm, I'm not too skeptical. I've seen staffs that, you know, have left the university and the university like tried to reach out to personal trainers in the area to hire them. And it's like, yeah. no, no disrespect to personal trainers, but, 
it's they're not the same job like right. fundamentally and it's to, to think that you can equivocate those two things is that really shows you just how wide that disconnect is yeah. and so and within tsec i mean these jobs are continuing to expand there's so many different you know specialized units that are starting to open up jobs where i'm like again this is where we're at that kind of the boyd epley days of collegiate strength conditioning but mm. now we need to not make the same mistakes where we start to overburden ourselves we oversaturate we get right. lower quality coaches coming in and then yeah. people who just want to grind versus know how we progress and moving this thing forward and like continue to raise the standard, raise the compensation and yeah. not subject ourselves to that same misery that we're watching so many coaches go down. Dude, so many, so many, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's a great point. And that's, that's really interesting. Cause like, there's no doubt, like a hundred percent, like I, I feel, and, and I'm, I'm like, just speaking for myself, like personally, not to make this about me, but like, whenever I enter something new, I'm the guy who's like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to observe. And then when people decide they want to learn my name and ask for my opinion, then I'll give it like, I don't go, you know what I mean? That was always like an intern approach. Right. And I think that like, that has different meanings for a lot of people, but like, that was kind of how I got into powerlifting. That was how I got into strength and conditioning. I just recently started jujitsu and it's like the same concept. Like, I don't know, there's a new space like i'm just going to do exactly whatever you guys tell me and then like when you feel like it's time like you respect me enough to actually learn my name and you know i've earned the respect or whatever then like yeah i'll i'll speak you know what i mean i'm not gonna come in here asking a bunch of questions and like you know you know defying everything that you guys have been doing for a lineage of like whatever 40 years but mm -hmm. at that same time right you do get to a point where you know with with everything you're, you're like okay like I've, I've been here like i've observed some things and like here here are some like holes i feel like i can poke and then i think in, when you're in a good space and you're in a good environment the people who have been doing it for x amount of years are open to hearing your thoughts on the holes that you want to poke because they want fresh eyes they want fresh information whereas like I can't tell you how many like strength coaches, it's almost like the majority of the, the coaches that I talk to are like, yeah, like, you know, my head coach or my boss or the people that I work with, like, they don't want to hear anything about new information. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to come across in the same way that like you, you know, just described, it's like, you're not want to come across as like, oh, like I'm a new guy. I have all this new information. I want to show you things like, to be honest with you, like the things that I'm talking about outlining are like basic shit. Like not even like, we're not even talking about, so I'm talking, you know what I mean? Like I'm in my mind, I'm thinking like, like you, you think like what I'm trying to describe to you is this some sort of like scientific, like fantastical approach to something. And I'm like, this is like the most basic shit ever. Like, this is like what, you know, and I, I remember like, I, I really got away from presenting any data. I really started, it was like, okay, okay. Like a good, any, any sort of good employee is going to meet people where they're at. So it's like, okay, this, this isn't pushing it through. And as much as I think it can be valuable, it's not valuable if they're not interested in it. Right. So I'm like, let me find out what they're interested in. So you go and do that. I'm like, okay, they understand, I don't know, football, they're like, okay, they understand reps, right? Like they understand snaps. Like, okay, let's, let's do something with reps and snaps. Let's do something with like qualities, right? Okay. They like, you know, they know the word explosive or they know whatever it is, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like trying to figure out like where they're at and you know, it got to the point there was, there was one time I remember them, you know, like, I don't know if it was a coach, like there was, there was some good traction being made, but I don't know if like, I forget who said it. And someone was just like, yeah, man, like, you know, sometimes these guys just don't want to like adapt to like new stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. But like this, this isn't new. Like, this is just what's happening on a daily basis. And like, it's dangerous that like, we don't have the ability to understand these things. And so I think you get, you know, going back to what you said, like profit. Right. And so like, they need to be able to make money. And obviously like, if, if I, when I, when I left my job, there was a dude already lined up to take that job. No problem. It didn't matter. They cut my pay by like 20 grand. It didn't matter. That dude was going to hop on that position and he's going to take, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. And I, and I get it, you know, and, I, and I'm not like, I'm not hating on anybody, but I do think that there's something there where I'm like, it, it just clicked. And that was why I left. I was like, Oh, I was like, 
the athletic director, the administration, like all these people who are hiring the people who are hiring me, like they know less than those guys and they're not good humans. So obviously they're not going to hire somebody who's like a high character value to run this like head coach of this program or whatever. And then it's like, all right. So like, well, what do you get when you get that? Like you get old school mentality of like, I don't talk to you. Don't look at me unless I look at you kind of thing. Right. And it's like these things that, you know, are just like completely toxic. Right. But in, in your mind, you're like, how though? Like, how are you, how are you still making those mistakes? Like, you know, there are major mistakes made at like every single CEO, every fortune 500 company, every single, any, any organization that has ever been worth anything has talked about like, Hey, here's what made us successful. And of course, some of them, you know, succeeded despite those things, but you know, so it just clicked me. I was like, oh, like my vision, their vision. They realize they don't need my vision or my formula in order to win. They need, they just need to win as quickly as possible. And, you know, development isn't along that path. So uh, anyway, yeah. So like, I, you know, I'm sure you have some thoughts on that and I'll let you kind of go with your thoughts. No, on that. You're good. After that, if you wanted to kind of start to talk a little bit about, you know, moving into obviously the tactical strength and conditioning world and how it is different. I know you've kind of jumped, you know, kind of shed some light on some of those things, but um, you know, yeah, just kind of like, you know, for, cause I'm sure there's a lot of coaches listening thinking like, yeah, man, I'm in a shitty spot right now. And I would love to really be around some people who actually have a decent operation going value the things that I value still, you know, get to be good at your job, take pride in your job, do good things for good people, but also not be like obsessed with your job and so consumed by it that you compromise everything else in the process. So um, yeah, if you want to kind of like shed some light on that, even just like the general basics of like the layout and then how you've kind of like adapted it and, and picked up on things over the 15 months that you've been there and things you're starting to feel like you're getting good at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I'll kind of start off because after you touched on like, yeah, there's people who might be looking for a change in that work-life balance. And I think that's absolutely, you know, that's one of the major reasons I took this job. Mm. I will kind of put the caveat there to start like, it has been rather unfortunate to see like there's people who took this job not for the work-life balance, but it's mainly for the life. And so they're kind of taking advantage of it being a 40 hour work week contractor position, like no boss directly over you. And like, it, it's, and I, I think we have a phenomenal staff at my brigade. Um, I, you know, and I'm not saying that because some of them might listen to this, but I do generally <laughs> think like we got very, very lucky. We have some extremely like not just strength coaches, like athletic trainers, physical therapists, uh, dietitians, a phenomenal staff. But I know of other staffs where, like, they got people who met the technical requirements for experience, but they don't have actual, like, transferable experience. And they're taking this job because it's easy. And I think kind of, you know, and easy, easy from the sense of compared to what you're doing with, like, collegiate or high school or pro, like, it's just a lot less stressful. Um, but even within this environment, like, one of the, I think the misconceptions is, like, oh, it's H2F, like, the Army's putting all this money into it. Like, it's going to be this great thing. You get there, you program, you know it's nothing like that. Uh, like, and I actually yeah. just had a I, um, buddy of my brother and myself, um, Alex Brzezki just m moved up here and took a job here. And I was telling him the same thing. Like, you're going to get here. And like, unlike collegiate athletics where you get there and you need to have your, you know, next 16 weeks planned out and you got to hit the ground running here. It's almost the exact opposite because one of the, and this is a bigger picture army issue, military issue of the fundamental, fundamental issue with how they roll this out is, the army put together doctrines, all that stuff. And, you know, here's why we have H2F. They conducted all the research, right? And there's a wealth of research. And it's kind of like you mentioned, like the information's out there when it comes to like leadership. Same thing with the army and overtraining. Like you go look at any research study, army, Navy, Marines, it doesn't matter. Overtraining is rampant. It's like 70 to 75% of injuries are overtraining and overuse. Yeah. And that's widely known. But then you come into this population. Now you've hired all these subject matter experts, these civilian contractors to come in. And what wasn't really made clear is how to utilize us. Like there, there's the H2F operating concept, which 
does a pretty good job outlining it, but the, it, it's not, you know, no one's really taken that and actually directly applied it. It was kind of this open to interpretation, you know, here's these two humans with beards, um, feed them a couple times a day, let them out once or twice, and uh, they'll teach you how to lift weights. Yeah. But then it was like the idea of like from that, from there, it was like they, there was kind of this huge misconception. So when I got here, for example, I got here June of 2021, got to remember years now. Um, yeah. And we had, it was myself and our brigade lead now, Nick Ometti, who came from Wofford and we got here and the first few weeks was like next to nothing because, and that was for a variety of reasons. So one, one of the biggest issues is actually getting onto base and getting all your credentials and everything to like actually be able to get a government computer, get access to the base, uh, be able to like save documents on a computer. It's this whole drawn out process that is really between the military and your contractor to get squared away. But it took me six months to get a computer. Wow. And, and like, you can't like, and I was using my personal hotspot on my, own laptop just because I was like I need to get some work done but six months to get a working computer and like mm. so that way like I don't have to bring in my own stuff don't have to use my own things and then in terms of actually programming and being responsible for groups so when Nick and I got here it was right before the soldiers went on block leave which is like their two-week dead period um right around fourth of July and then they came back from that there was a three-week period and then our entire brigade was going out to the national training center down in California which mm. meant about 90 percent of the guys would be gone and we actually, we were lucky that there was one company commander that wanted to like utilize us to like have us actually plan PT and run it. And you know, what our job we thought was supposed to be. And we ran it for a month and it, and it went pretty well. Like we got good results. A lot of it obviously was a mess from the standpoint of like historically, and even now like the army's PT when it's led at the NCO level, the squad level, it's about as chaotic as you can imagine just because, and the analogy I use to my college strength coach friends is the environment we walked into would be like, you go to a new university and let's say you have, you know, soccer, basketball, and baseball. Each team has their head sport coaches. That'd be like your battalion or your brigade commanders. But then you have all your athletes on the team. And in this environment, it's the equivalent of each individual athlete writing their own program. Yeah. They, they can consult with you. But the whole idea is, and the thing the Army's hitched up on is this idea of like train the trainer and equipping the NCOs to like be able to program and do what we do. And it's kind of a, it's, you know, I, I get it's well-intentioned, but it's also disrespectful because it's like, I have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, internships, grad assistantships, like countless, you know, books, articles, all these different things I've read. And I still don't feel like I have it figured out, but you expect me to take this person who might not have a college degree, might not even be interested in learning about training. And I'm mm -hmm. supposed to condense down my entire education into a one week crash course. Yeah. And that's wild. And, yeah. And so like you literally come to this environment where like, so when I stepped into my battalion, every squad leader was like programming on their own. And you know, we got seven, 800 guys in our battalion at a given time. So it's a lot of programs running and you're talking about, you know, minimal space, minimal equipment or minimal equipment spaces hit or miss. But then we're also in Washington where it rains nine months out of the year and we don't have any indoor covering. Right. And so like, yeah, we train outside. There's a field, the geese come in in the fall, there's poop all over the field. And then this, you know, it gets cold enough and it's pitch black at six 30 in the morning. So like, yeah. there's all these just logistical constraints where like, everything traditional SNC related just goes out the window because I only have X amount of barbells. I only have eight bumper plates of each weight and I got to train 150 to 200 guys on this one equipment stack in 90 minutes. And on top of that, they'll get passed out randomly. Guys might not show up randomly. They'll be gone for a week, two weeks, whatever it is. And so it's like, 
you could like if you ever seen the uh Maladin chart of like organized like chaos like programming <laughs> it goes even further right than that distributed distributed model because it's so far scaled of like trying to have continuity of training is extremely difficult and then yeah. on top of that even once you do and so now we are, we're in a spot where our new battalion commander he came in uh, middle of june has been fully on board he came from the pentagon prior to this and it was kind of interesting because when he was at the pentagon he was a lot receiving a lot of the data on h2s and mm. like being a part of the you know the conversations in terms of you know discussions with congress whoever else <clears throat> and so he was seeing kind of the quantitative side of it and from that side of it it's like oh h2s is awesome thing yeah. What he wasn't seeing because he was there was the qualitative side and the actual implementation. And I mean, honestly, just, you know, how rocky things were. And so when he got to our battalion and we, he sat down with myself and the other coach of our battalion, Ryan Gibson, we were, he was like, you know, who are you working with? What are you doing? We told him like, right now we're only training a platoon and a squad, which mm. is about, I think, less than 8% of our entire battalion. Yeah. And he was like confused. And I'm like, well, there's no, there's nothing holding their feet to the fire. Like we've reached out. We've tried to do all these different like training stuff to get feet in the door. But there's just this mass miscommunication of like, what is it we do? How are NCOs to utilize us? And they're hearing, they might hear from one person, they're supposed to still program. We're not, like we've heard from multiple people, like higher ranking officers, like we're not supposed to write PT and we're not supposed to run PT. And it's like, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. If I don't do to those two things, I'm just, a guy, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy <laughs> in sweatpants and a hoodie and a beard that all the soldiers are jealous of. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where there's so many different kind of underlying issues that need to be addressed. But to me, one of the biggest ones and one that went clear, went along with our battalion is having that commander, essentially your sport coach, just coming out and saying, look, this is the subject matter expert. This is the person who does this for a living. We're going to utilize him and trust him. And so it's been all, like, so since then, we've basically been slowly rolling out our PT plan. And it's, still a very unique situation because again there's two of us 800 guys in the battalion and we have a 90 minute window so logistically we can't coach everyone which means yeah. you're trying to create this system that tailors to you know we have guys that anywhere we have former college athletes you know college football players high-end guys like that and then you have this 18 year old who's never sniffed a weight room in his life and has spent the uh -huh. last 10 years you know being a keyboard warrior and uh -huh. it's like i still have to keep them all together i have to have a consolidated program and I also have to convince these guys that doing bro splits at the gym on their own on top of PT <laughs> and their diet of nicotine, caffeine, and, you know, tornadoes from the gas station yeah. is not a good recipe. Yeah. And so it's like, it's all these things you're trying to navigate. And that's where, again, why I love this environment, because as challenging as that all is, as hectic as it all is, no one here is arguing Olympic lift versus non-Olympic lift, front right. versus back squat. Like none of that, those, those just for lack of a better term, bullshit arguments that college coaches would tend to waste their time on. Like you're missing the forest for a pebble on the ground. Yeah. And like, so there's no that there. It's all about like, what are these big picture, like frameworks and mental models like you can create to help convey a training that these soldiers who don't have the background can still take and implement on their own. And so how we've been doing it is kind of these two week periods where we take a platoon about 35 to 45 guys. And we get two weeks of being fully hands-on with them, Ryan and myself. And we, we take them through our workouts, our program. We do an in-briefing session where we actually go through like orally why this is the session emphasis, what we're trying to accomplish. Here's how to run it, all That's that. Sick. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, and it's, it's been a cool experience because you, you obviously get a mix of soldiers that are skeptical, soldiers that don't care at all. And soldiers that are like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Yeah. Uh, and then you try to teach them it in that two week period. And then you go on to the next platoon and the trust is that they go back to their company and are able to run it. 
And mm. so again, it's kind of the heck, you know, you think about it like a college strength coach, like imagine getting a team, you have two weeks to teach them how to run your program. And then you don't, you don't see them again. And you're just like, and those are at yeah. least obviously like college athletes where like some of them might have some semblance, but yeah. in the army, like you, again, you have a couple guys who are, you know, former high, like high school athletes, but obviously that's not exactly a barometer for being, right. you know, which is what the historically <laughs> the army has thought is a good indicator. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you're trying to navigate all that. And then all the while, like all these bigger picture, picture issues of like sleep schedules, diet, nutrition. I mean, obviously alcohol in the army, you know, cigarettes in the army, it's very synonymous with each other. And then again, coupling the fact that a lot of these guys train two times, sometimes three times a day and trying to convince them that, you know, the old less is more, better is better men's mantra. Yeah. It's, it's so deeply ingrained in the army. And that's where even I've had to kind of check myself because I'm, you know, I'm a very passionate guy. I, you know, when I when, went into wrestling with NDSU and I saw all the things I could improve there, I was the same way of just like being eager. And that's something where I, I've had to improve on it because kind of like you said earlier, like you see that change, you want to make it, you want to speak on it, but sometimes it's better to step back and observe. And in this environment, it's observing that the army has been around for 300 plus years. And we're back-to-back -back World War champs. We put it on T-shirts, right? You know, we're, we're the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Army. Like, we're the U.S. <laughs> Army. And so H2F has been around since 2018 on a pilot project, so on a very small scale. And everyone that's in a leadership position, you know, officers, your higher-ranking officers, they came up without H2F. And it's kind of that survivorship bias that exists where well, most likely those are your guys that genetically – had you know the most in them to tolerate the brutality of army training and then also just you know managed to survive the other day and so then they're surrounded by guys who went through just as shitty training but also survived and despite the fact that all of them will like say this knee hurts that knee hurts my back hurts i can't do this can't do that they'll swear by it yeah. and they're the ones at the end of the day like the chain of command like you're always answering to someone higher in the army there's no place that's more serious so yeah. even if we're working with all these younger guys and they're like oh we love what you're talking about we're excited if their platoon sergeant or their company commander or first sergeant isn't about it, it mm. can be a friction point depending on how your unit operates. And so yeah. it's been a very, and when you talk about, you know, communication and patience and all those things, like it's been a very challenging experience, but also like, I think deeply rewarding just because like you, one, you develop an appreciation for what these guys go through. Like it, obviously everyone knows the army is not easy, but like truthfully, like with how much these guys are tasked out to do and all the stuff they have on their plate, like, it is it is a very demanding job beyond just the physical aspects mm. um but then just also for myself like figuring out like again i'm in a foreign population like the army people will tell you if you go on an army base it's like learning a brand new language and there's so <laughs> many abbreviations that they just throw at you and it, i'm like this could be in japanese and i would have understood just as much of it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but learning the language learning how to connect with them and then also understand that like whatever we do here now being on the ground floor of h2f more than likely we are not going to reap the direct benefits of because you know the process of getting promoted and working your way up in the army is an extremely long process like you know 10 15 20 years you have to be a career person in the army and that's where kind of with anyone who's getting into h2f now or has been in h2f i think understanding that our job is to you know one obviously provide training do what we can within the you know constraints we're provided and then educating and exposing those younger soldiers with the hope that kind of the old plant a tree whose shade you'll never see. And you got to hope that you give these kids a positive impact because all they know is what they've been exposed to. And so they're not doing stuff out of negligence. They're doing it out of just tradition and convenience. And it's all they know. And so now that yeah. they're able to see that, hey, 
we have these coaches where we're not just going for a five mile run on Monday because everyone goes for a five mile run on Monday. <laughs> right. Like, and we're not doing all these different things. And so now you expose them to different stuff over time. Like certain people see the benefits, certain people don't because they don't agree with the training, whatever it is. But now you're hopeful that by hopefully providing more longevity to these guys' careers, they work their way up. And then when they're in a position of being a battalion commander, a brigade commander, and they now have the ability to influence, hey, we have an H2F team here. They're going to be utilized. Yeah. Like these are the coaches. These are the ATs. These are how to use them. Like I had a very good experience. I know that they know well. So we're going to use them. And it's, it's literally, especially you talk about the army, it's that quick of a switch of whoever's at the top of the chain, you know, relative to the echelon you're at, they say, this is what we're doing. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating on our end. Cause obviously that just takes time. Like some people, you know, if you've been in the army 30, 40 years, it's going to be hard to convince you otherwise at this point. And that, yeah. I think that's, that's a bias that we're all subject to. So you can't be angry or anything with them. Like, if I had been doing something one way for 40 years and you were to come and tell me I'm doing wrong, like I'm going to be stubborn <laughs> as hell too. Um, yeah. And so yeah. you do the best you can to educate and to give them those tools and to make change wherever you have it. And, you know, again, I was working with the same squad of 12 guys for three, four months, but we worked really hard with them. And, you know, we got improvements in ACFT scores. The guys enjoyed it. Like we had a fun time and they started talking to people and that's what got some more people interested in us. It got another platoon from their company to start working with us and it was kind of that word of mouth and then so now as we're rolling things out battalion wide it's a lot smoother of a process because people start to know who we are we're familiar mm -hmm. faces we're around the battalion we're often and that goes a long way um but yeah i mean i think you know obviously like you said a long-winded answer to your question of what is this job but I, you know it, it, it really much is a job where you have to come in with this kind of systems-based mindset of whatever you're trying to do has to be the most scalable yet simplistic thing you've ever come up with. Mm. And you need to have a contingency for your contingency because you're subject to the weather, you're subject to, you know, a million different things that can alter your plan mm. and trying to make this all work given your constraints is just a very unique challenge. But I mean, yeah. And then, so I guess to kind of give the short answer too of like what a day looks like, cause I'm sure that's, you know, for people who are listening, I want to hear, Typical day for most installations is you're in by, you know, 600 at the latest, uh, maybe 530. PT starts at 630, depending on your unit. Um, you might be hands-on coaching, you might be doing technique work, whatever it is, but from 630 to 800 is when PT is. And then really from 800 until 1400, when your workday ends, is kind of very much what you make of it. And that's another great part of this job is like, that can be doing technique classes. We've done educational classes where we've actually gone through and taken squad leaders and done like a classroom session on like pelvic control, squatting mechanics, hinging mechanics, stuff like that. Because before they need to know how to program, I'd rather they know how to teach a good yeah. movement, which, which none of these guys ever get is that the other big pieces you get thrown in the army, you show up for PT and it's like, all right, pick up that barbell and do the same weight I'm doing, even though I've been lifting for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so you do that stuff. Um, there's a lot of meetings, a lot of, you know, just kind of like any job, a lot of relationship building. And then I think on our end, like a lot of time we spend is on, building out these systems to where yeah. you know i want to make something that for my 800 guys in my battalion i can apply kind of in mass but it's it's catering to you know within one to two standard deviations of that normative bell curve of encompassing everyone there provided yeah. they're challenging themselves and then that would ultimately allow us the freedom to once we have everyone on this consolidated plan <clears throat> we can now push out different iterations by company by platoon whatever we need to do based on where they're at but theoretically, you're only going to have the same group of guys for two to three years because they'll go to different duty stations. Right. They might retire, whatever it is. And so 
you don't need this long drawn out periodization scheme. What you honestly probably need is three to four, six week blocks of training that Mm -hmm. can be run consecutively and can be applied as needed. And then just have scalable pieces to them to where, Oh, Hey, for whatever reason, we don't have barbells today. All right. Swap this out, plug this in, run the same program. And it's something where the more, and we've seen it even with our guys these past two months, as we've continued to move on to new platoons, they've still done a tremendous job of running it without our assistance, which is a testament to them because they got so much on their plate, but it's like, Hey, you got two weeks of exposure to this and now you're running it on your own and doing a pretty good job, Um, Mm. which is, it's cool for us to see because you look down the field while you're training one group down here and you see everyone doing your warm up now, or you see everyone doing your shuttle runs. And like, it's, it's kind of, it's what you always dreamed it could be. And it's still not perfect, but it's like, I think back to where I was a year ago and how that field looked at training. And it's like night and day. So it's like, that's progress. And I need to take that and appreciate it and run with it. No doubt. Yeah. That's sick, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because I'm like sitting here complaining about like the traditional list of in football. Right. And I'm like thinking to myself, right. I'm like, dude, imagine like the tradition that you would have to try to break down in the army. You know what I mean? like, 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 think about like the tactical, like you're like, Oh, we complain about like, Oh, football coach comes in. Like obviously like that, you know, confirmation bias of like, like the worst thing that ever happened to a football coach was them achieving some success. Right. Because then it was like, Oh, well we had the success in, you know, 2009. So like we have to do literally everything the same that we did in 2009. We have to do it every single year and it can never change even if we're like literally failing every single year you know that you know following that we need to make sure that we're doing the same things because at some point it'll work again right and i imagine it's probably like 10 times you know i don't want to use the word worse i just think it's like it's more relevant like obviously in your setting obviously like they like football basically bastardizes and tries to take on a lot of military concepts you know what I mean? they just do a poor mm. job at do, in doing so um but i think you know it's funny because you're like yeah i mean that's that's literally what you're trying to break down. And now you're trying to do it when, in a sense where it's like, we're not even like, like at least like a, like a division one college football player has like an understanding that like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to train today. Like I'm going to have to like, I'm going to be required to go like work out or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to train for my sport. Um, whereas like you're saying, these kids are just like, yeah, who are you? Like, I got to do what? You know what I mean? I got to make and, this happen. And they all want to be bodybuilders and like stuff like that. And it's like, it's the irony of, and again, I get it. You know, you're a guy, you want to fill the sleeves, you know, look good, all that. But it's also thinking, you know, and there's, you look at what the army is actually like, not what the movies portray it like, because people think every soldier looks like uh, Captain America after the serum. And it's like, (laughs) I wish, but, um, and so getting them to understand, like, you know, they all want to just, you know, squat bench dead or just be bodybuilders, you know, Monday's chest day and then arm day and leg day. And it's like, it's like, first of all, you go look at any guys who are, you know, special forces, they're not training like that for the most part. And then second of all, you physically look at them and there was best Ranger competition um, that Ranger Regiment put on a couple months ago. And you look at the top five teams. It's like these guys that they're fit, but none of them have arms bulging out of their like shirts, nothing like that. Like they're moderately fit guys, but you know, they kind of have that because you have to have speed, strength, power, endurance. Like you have to encompass the whole spectrum. But at the end of the day, like what makes them the best is obviously the technical and tactical aspects, like anything else we do, like the, 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 physical barrier for entry is a lot lower than guys think yeah but especially the army historically places places this huge premium on endurance because you look at the old fitness test it was you know lots of running 12 mile right. rock marches all this stuff and it's like it's historically obsolete now because you know yeah. like in my case we're a striker brigade which means we're mounted so like with the exception of like a couple like of like our scout snipers guys like that 
we're not doing a 12 mile ruck march that came from world war one like yeah. we've made we've made a couple technological advancements since then and our, our, our training should reflect that but it's like it makes sense when you think what the army prioritizes which is endurance-based events you're you know i kind of joke would you rather go to war with the cross-country team or the football team well we're, we're training like that and no disrespect that we're cross-country athletes i don't want any of them like in my dms like yo what the hell <laughs> but all due respect if i am picking someone to win a fight i'm probably going to pick the middle linebacker from you know georgia or bama or lsu 100%. over yeah. buck 30 soaking wet cross-country runner right um, yeah. and so it's trying to get them to like see past that like i'm like i get what you guys see on instagram what you see on tiktok but that is not what training is and like you guys want to train like athletes, but then none of you guys do change of direction work, speed work, accelerate, like multiple, you know, working unilaterally, bilaterally, like all this stuff. It's just squat, you know, chest day, do a bunch of pressing exercises and triceps, and then wonder why you're not making progress. And so getting them to like view training through this different holistic lens is, to, you know, I remember being a stubborn college kid. Like I did bro splits too. I thought it was mm. everything. And now I'm a total body guy almost all the time, but I, yeah. I think back, I'm like, that was me as someone who at least had a semblance of an education through my undergrad degree. These are kids who, who don't have that. And so how can I be frustrated with them for not understanding where I'm coming from? Right. Because it's just a completely different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's great insight. Honestly, this has been so like eye opening. And I know I told you this before we started, but it's like this is like why I like doing this podcast. It's like I just get to learn about a bunch of things that I had no idea about. And this is why I wanted to obviously have you on because I never really thought about it that way. You know what I mean? To think that it's like yeah, like you're you're like teaching other people how to teach what you know, right? And it's like that's a wild concept, you know? Like you think of like oh yeah, I'm gonna get in there, I'm gonna get all these guys who are like you know geared up, ready to rock, and they wanna they wanna train or whatever. And it's like no, nah, like actually like you're gonna to have to kind of like do a decent sell job on you know try to, to get people to understand why your position is valuable and you're gonna to have to teach people what you know so that they can like you said like you know the tree you grow or whatever and obviously the shade you never see you're gonna to have to hopefully you're gonna hope that they like your information trickles down and obviously um you know can kind of impact over the years but what i do think is and i'm really glad you said that because it, it gives like hope where it's like all right we're gonna teach these guys x right and the hope is that like as they grow i feel like there's a little bit more of a transfer there because of the fact that like they're literally learning it so because they know that it's going to be a part and it's going to be you know implemented into their like pc is going to be implemented into it's kind of like been a part of this for a while so it's like all right we know these guys are eventually going to work their way up obviously to like a higher rank and then they're going to say like hey i had a great experience with justin he was great you know as my strength and conditioning coach i really want you guys to utilize our strength and conditioning coach and this is how you're going to use it here's how we're going and like I, I i could see that trans that transference there or the um transition happening a lot quicker and and just at a lot more of efficient rate than anything that would ever happen in football because there's no there's no guarantee that you need to explain anything of what you do to a who or you're going to have that even have that dialogue or that conversation with any sort of like quality control coach wide receiver coach whatever you know what i mean there's mm -hmm. that conversation may never even happen you could work at a university for like 20 years you know what i mean whereas like yeah. these these things these things are actually being forced to happen so um honestly this this has been awesome this is great insight and i i, I hope the people who are listening obviously agree um and would love to have you back on and say like a year or so or two really kind of like see where things go and obviously you know get get your perception on on things you know now or then versus now that kind of thing um 
but uh, you know, we've got, I got a few minutes left. So like, if there's anything else that you Justin wanted to touch on anything you want people to know about, I would say definitely plug your the work you have on uh, strength coach network, you know, let people know where they can find you as far as like social media and all that stuff. And if there's anything else that, you know, you kind of want to wrap up with in terms of letting people know about um, your operation, please, please feel free to do so. But uh, yeah, this is, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So, um, and again, before I get into my uh, social media, all that want to thank you for having me on. Like it's, I love, okay. you know, like we talked about beforehand, there's, just because this is a new thing, like, doesn't mean even myself having only been here a year, there's people that's been here longer, like, having the conversation, starting the dialogue is what matters with this. And, you know, whether you're stepping into tactical or any environment, like, don't think your idea lacks merit because of how new you are. Like, I know people love to cite the Dunning-Kruger and all that, but idea meritocracy is still a thing. And sometimes coming from an outside perspective can give you a different, when you come into this new environment, you have something that is extremely valuable, but if all you tolerate is people saying, well, you haven't done it long enough so you don't understand, mm -hmm. like, don't take that. Um, I, yeah. I did, I deal with it wrestling and then I've dealt with it here. And it's like, you know, what you know to be true, if you can prove it, if you can get the results, like do that and then just be persistent. Like, don't let someone tell you because you're, you know, you haven't been a soldier or you haven't been in H2F long enough. Like your ideas don't have merit. Like I've been, and I put this in all my content because I share a bunch of stuff. Like, I'm not assuming I'm right, but, I'm going to put out here what I think are my truths right now. And if you can critique it and poke holes in it and it makes sense what you're saying, then I'm going to update it. But I'm not going to sit here, hoard these ideas to myself until I hit an arbitrary number of years of experience or whatever, then say, <laughs> you know, here's what it is. It's like, no, this is what I think right now. This is as organized as I can make it. Let me put it out for the internet. And if people want to, you know, some people get sensitive when you call out their methods that they share on social media. And it's like, what else would you want? But like critique from professionals. And if you can't yeah. defend it, maybe you shouldn't enjoy it or be yeah. doing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so social media wise, um, my Instagram is j.c.cune, my last name, K-U-E-H-N. Twitter's the same, but without the periods in between. Um, I'm on, I have a LinkedIn, but honestly, I, I did that because my dad forced me to create it. <laughs> like, no, no. Um, and then, <laughs> no, no. yeah, if anyone's interested in uh, H2F just in general, I did three different blogs for Strength Coach Network. Uh, if you just mm. go to strengthcoachnetwork.com, I think slash blog, um, that'll take okay. you to it, but did three different, um, smaller articles on that, that I think provide a lot of insight, but anyone who reads that more than welcome to reach out to me on Instagram, um, Twitter, DM me, and would be happy to kind of fill in the blanks for any questions or concerns you have. Um, again, I don't want us making the same mistakes of collegiate strength conditioning where you get put into something that people don't give you the truth on. Like I'd rather yeah. be very transparent about what this job is and what it is not. And if it's not something that you're interested in, then obviously, you know, definitely don't step in. And this is kind of the last tidbit I'll like leave this with is I touched on at the start of the podcast of people taking this job because they just want the work to life balance and kind of pulling off the, the, the gas pedal. You know, we, a lot of us come from the environment where sport coaches love the old mantra of, Oh, we're going to war this weekend. And it's like, you're not going to war. You're, you're going to a hundred thousand capacity stadium, air conditioned locker rooms, and you're taking a coach bus home. Like, yeah we're not the same, but like in this environment, regardless of like what your situation is with how your commander wants to utilize you and what you're trying to do, like if you are not constantly pushing the envelope and pushing the boundaries, like these are people who it is literal life and death. And yes, there's a huge technical and tactical component, but the physical component obviously underpins all that. And because it's a job where, you know, a buddy of yours gets shot and you need to drag him away, but because of your physical training, you're not strong enough. You don't have the aerobic capacity, whatever it is. And so it's like, understand that whoever you're working with like you may not see directly the impact they're not going to go oh you got my squat up 30 pounds that's why i managed to survive you know the situation but 
indirectly, you can have the impact of them saving their own life or saving the life of someone else. Um, mm -hmm. And so understand, like you take these jobs, if you're taking it simply because it's a better work-life balance and not because you actually want to maximize your professional development and contribution, I would say stay away because these are the people who are for lack of choice or because they wanted to putting their lives on the line for this country and the freedoms we have. And it's, I can't think of anything more disrespectful or bigger disservice than to say, I'm just here to collect a paycheck, cash out at 2 PM, not do anything to improve the standards. Like I get it. I've dealt with the frustrations of getting into H2F and wanting to do something and getting so much red tape, so many hurdles thrown your way. You just need to keep like busting through and it's okay to be frustrated. You know, I had mine and I expressed them with different people, but that entire time I was still building out stuff, preparing for the moment, like when we got this new battalion commander that wanted to go full scale. So that mm -hmm. way the moment he gave us the green light, we we're ready to go. And then we're in constant communication. We continually, you know, update and iterate our process. And that's something we stress to our soldiers is I'm new to this tactical realm. I, I know what's worked in collegiate athletics, but this is new and I'm going to apply my principles as best we can. But if you guys give us feedback on what does and does not work or ideas you have, we'd love to hear that. And we've actually had some NCOs with phenomenal suggestions. It's improved our programming and it's made what we do better. And I think when they see that collaboration and our willingness, like we're not someone talking down to them and that conversation only goes one way. Like, no, we need that feedback from you guys. We need that reality check because our perception and your reality don't match up always. Yeah. And so come into it with that mindset, because again, like, you know, we're, we're not technically at war right now, but obviously, you know, North Korea launched a missile over Japan the other day. You have the whole Russia, Ukraine situation, like the world landscape is constantly changing and these people's lives depend on you trying to wedge yourself through the door to the point where you get that autonomy to help prepare them for the demands of their job. And then also bigger picture of their life. Cause a lot of these guys, like they get broken off in the army and, you know, yeah, they want the VA benefits, but then they go back to their families and they can't run around with their kids. They can't do all these things. And it's not because they're on deployment and, you know, ran over an IED. It's because they were forced to do 150 deadlifts the day after they did 150 squats or whatever it is. And so yeah. keep fighting that fight because you're, you're contributing to something more than a trophy. And that's not to diminish sports, but I'll say the intrinsic motivation to help someone in this population is exponentially higher. Um, and it can be a very great opportunity to meet some awesome people with awesome stories, but definitely come into it with a patient mindset and also with still a stubborn and assertive mindset, because if, if you kind of cower away and you don't really try to push the envelope, you'll just get eaten alive. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're just, we're just going to end it there. That's the mic drop. I don't have, I, there are, there are like so many things that like I want to say and add to, but it's, it's not, not valuable in this, in this situation. I, but I, I, that hit its home for sure. Yes. Yeah, so I really appreciate you saying that it's an awesome way to finish off this podcast. It's incredible information. And um, honestly, I couldn't have said it better myself and I don't know anybody else who could have. So uh, I really mean this when I say this, thank you so much, Justin, for hopping on. Uh, this is, this is awesome. And it was exactly what I hoped it would be and maybe even a little bit more. So um, again, listen, Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, go follow Justin and obviously hit him up if you have any questions, any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, man, thanks a lot. This was awesome. I, re I really appreciate it. Seriously. Thanks for having me on again. And happy right. birthday. Make sure your viewers put in the comments as well. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Listeners, catch you guys next time.